Jesus, thank you so much. So wonderful, God. So beautiful. So powerful is your name. And we just exalt you even right now, knowing that it's in your name that we can be saved. It's in your name that, Lord, we find forgiveness and new life. It's in your name, God, that we can have eternal life. It's your name that powerfully changes us, heals us, frees us, and makes us into the people you want us to be. And God, as we get into your word tonight, may you bless it, God. May your Holy Spirit touch it, God. May you speak to our hearts, Lord, minister to our needs and meet us right where we're at. God, we want to hear from you. Encourage us, Lord. Uh, Set us on fire, Jesus. Lord, help us to live for you and be a light in this dark world. So we ask for your anointing right now, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I read a story about a boy who went with his mother to that old general store in the country. The boy liked to dip his finger in this large barrel of molasses. Well, the storekeeper caught him doing this and decided to teach the boy a lesson. So he picked up the boy uh, by his britches and dunked him headfirst into the, the barrel of molasses and then put him out on the front porch of the store. Well, instead of crying the boy was actually heard praying. And this is what he prayed. God, give me the tongue to equal this opportunity. I like that. He didn't want to waste all that goodness probably dripping from his head. Well, tonight as we continue our study in the book of Acts, we come to the first sermon here recorded of Paul. I'm sure he did many messages, but here... In the book of Acts, we come to the very first sermon given by the Apostle Paul, which came out when this opportunity that God opened up for him to teach in this synagogue. So for the Apostle, it was to use his tongue for the Lord, for his glory, to share the gospel. So God made this opportunity. And so I... I uh, titled this message tonight, The Open Door, The Open Door. Now we're going to be studying Acts 13 from verse 13 through 43 tonight. And there's four things we're going to see here. Number one, the manner of sharing. Number two, the mission in history. Number three, the Messiah of prophecy. And number four, the message in salvation. So, Those are the four things we're going to be covering here. Once again, the title is The Open Door. And number one, the first thing we come to is the manner of sharing. The manner of sharing. Now here in Acts chapter 13, in this section, we're going to cover verse 13 through 15. 13 through 15. And let's go ahead and read these verses here. Beginning Acts 13, verse 13. It says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Pamphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So we'll stop right there. Now, Luke is writing here, continues to write how Paul and Barnabas, and we read here, John Mark, they continue on in their mission. Remember, last time they had launched out to this, into this first missionary journey. We learned about that last time in this first part of chapter 13. And so now we see them leaving the island of Cyprus. Remember, they ended up over there. And I forgot to mention, I think I did that, Barnabas is actually from that island. Way back we learned that in the beginning of Acts. So they're taking off here now. And, and I got this map. And perhaps you can look, look at this map. They go from Pamphus. Now here we read in uh, verse 13... Uh, they set sail from Pamphus. And if you can see on the map, 
Pampas is on the island of Cyprus. Remember, it was on that, that west uh, area as a capital. They made their way across the island in this missionary journey. And so they sailed from Pamphas all the way to, and we read here in verse 13, uh, Pamphylia, which is the area there. That's the area of uh, Pamphylia. And they actually went to that port of Perga. They ported there, and then they made their way up to Pisidia, which is, and there's another Antioch. It's a different Antioch from when they started over there in, in the area of Syria. But they ended up there in that area, uh, up there of Pisidia, which is really the Asia Minor. That's what maybe you guys might have heard before. Gal- uh, Galatia is up above that. So that's all in that area, and that's where they went. From Perga to P- Antioch and Pisidia, it was about 100 miles to travel that way. So there's a lot of traveling, setting sail, traveling in that way. Take note here. If you look in your Bible, verse 13, it says, Paul and his companions. Take note that Paul is singled out here. It's not Paul Barnabas, or it's not Barnabas and companions, but it's Paul and his companions. Because from here on, Paul is taking a prominent place here. He's the focus here in Luke's writing. Now notice something here in these uh, verses that we read that there's no preaching in Perga that's mentioned at all. We saw last time they were in uh, Pamphas, and they did. But here in Perga, they just left and went up to Antioch and Pisidia. So there's no record of them preaching. And some believe that, well, perhaps this was the time that Paul had contract. He got sick. And some believe maybe he got malaria. And there's a reference to that in Galatians 4.13. On the way back, they're going to stop in Perga. But at this time, they just they went there and then they went up 100, mile, 100 miles up. So perhaps, and some commentators speculate, that with the sickness or the malaria, they, want, they had to go up to a higher elevation, which Pisidian uh, Antioch there in Pisidia is actually, they say, about 3,600 feet in elevation. So I was up the mountain earlier this week um, meeting some guy, Samaritan person, and I saw an altitude sign, you know, we have up here in Haleakala, and it said like 3,500 feet. I go, oh, okay, this is, this is higher than probably, we're at, what, around 2,500 or so? So I was trying to think, picture that, oh, yeah, it is higher up. You know, there. So perhaps that was helping Paul if that's what was happening and what he referred to Galatians 4.13 at this time. All right. Now we read here and at the end of verse 13 that John left them. John left Paul and Barnabas and returned to Jerusalem. So here's John Mark. Remember, John Mark is the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark later, probably uh, dictating or getting stories from Peter, uh, uh, John Mark, he left this team. And, and why is that? Well, we don't know exactly for sure, but some speculate that maybe he left because he knew this was a very hard journey, 100 miles up to Antioch, where they're heading to. It was, everyone knew it was a dangerous journey. It was difficult. There was cliffs and rivers to cross. And so it wasn't a, a fun thing to do. Maybe he didn't like the sickness that was going around. We, we, we don't know. But we do know that it was so bad for his reason to lead the team at this time that later we're going to see in Acts 15 that next time they went on their second missionary journey, Barnabas wanted to take Mark, but Paul's like, no, no, I, I don't want to take him. Uh, uh, he left us in limbo before. And so we'll cover that in Acts 15. So that, that, this is the John Mark, and this is the incident, and this is the time when he left this missionary journey, this missions trip, and he left Paul and Barnabas. So Paul wasn't very happy with that. And perhaps maybe whatever the reason was, you know, if you think about Paul the Apostle, he was like a no-nonsense guy. He was, he was a guy that was all in. He was, he was a guy... 
he was the guy who wrote, you know, I finished my race, you know, I, I, I finished my course, you know, I, I kept going. And, and that was his heart. And that's what I love about the Apostle Paul, that no matter what, he keeps going. We read in other passages in 1 Corinthians and, uh, where he shares about his beatings and trials and hardships and toils and all that, but that never stopped them. And so I was thinking about that, how perhaps Paul, hey, John Mark, why, why are you leaving? Come on, let's go. And maybe that was part of that disappointment and Paul didn't like uh, that you know, he left John Mark because Paul, this was the kind of person Paul was. And I, I tend to feel like, well, you know, I want to be like that. If God has set in me something, I want to stick to that. A lot of times we're, we're like that, right? Oh, once it gets hard, oh, it's getting steep, forget it, I'm out of here. Without thinking about, is this God's will? Right? We would, well, sometimes we just think about how we feel, what's convenient to us, our emotions, rather than what does God want here. And I think we've got to be mindful of this as we see John Mark departing and I think about what kind of person Paul was. Jim Elliott once said, Wherever you are, be all there. I love that. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. So whatever God has called you to do, be all in. And I like how Jim Elliott put it. Be all there, right? Be all there. All right. So in verse 14, we see when they reach Antioch in Pisidia, we see in the second part of verse 14, it says, And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. So this was Paul's manner of sharing this is this is his oper- how he mode of operation basically paul and barnabas they went and attended this synagogue as a jewish synagogue there in pisidia antioch and they meet on the sabbath so it was a sabbath day and they went in and sat down was part of what was going on there now we read in verse 15, after the reading of the law and prophets. Now it was customary for every Sabbath service that they would read from the law, the, the, the Moses' law, somewhere in the Pentateuch. And then they would also read a prophet, some of the uh, scripture of what the prophets have written. And that was customary in that. And then after that, it was customary when the, for the rulers of the synagogue they had a message to Paul and Barnabas saying, hey, you guys, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. In other words, visiting rabbis and teachers, they were welcome and invited to come up and teach the scripture. That was like a customary thing to do. So they probably noticed, whoa, that's Paul, the Pharisee, Paul. I mean, hey, I heard that guy was schooled under Gamaliel, you know, one of the top rabbi scholars back then. And here's his student right here with us. Hey, maybe he would be willing to teach us. So Paul now used that status, basically, when they asked, there's the open door, right? Use his status to uh, open this door for him to really share Jesus. So that's what was being set up here. This was the door that was opening for Paul. And what a better thing, right? He's come to share Jesus. They're on this missionary journey to share Jesus. And God now sovereignly arranged this for this particular Sabbath day in this synagogue, in this city, for those particular people there. God opened the door for Paul to stand up and share Jesus Christ. I think that's awesome. I think he has this incredible opportunity. I wrote in my Bible at the end of verse 15, this is the open door, right? Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, hey, say it. Oh, hey, you want me to talk? Sure, (laughs) right? Right? There's the open door, the open door. 
So what we see is really this was the manner of sharing Jesus for Paul. We see it throughout his missionary journeys as long as he could. Some places the Jews didn't like him coming and shut the door. And and we're going to see some things happen um, next time. But this was the manner of sharing Jesus. This is how Paul, Paul went around on his missionary journey and looked for those opportunities. You know, one of the things I've been trying to do even during this time with this uh, fire and events that have been you know happened three weeks ago is is I'll see people people I know or maybe I run into and I mentioned this I think in a message on Sunday but I try and say hey how are you doing how are you doing with the fire and another thing if I, I try and say or see if it's uh, there's an opening and say I would say hey can I pray for you for something I remember when um Fabe and Mona were here uh, the other week um, when Fabe spoke in our, in our Sunday service. Well, that week, we, we, I think it was that week, yeah, we, we went out to eat somewhere. Uh, oh, yeah, Kula Bistro. And then Mona asked our waitress that question before we left. said, hey, can we pray for, thank you for serving us. Can we pray for you for something? And she, she said a request, and we prayed right there in the restaurant. And, and that, I thought that was so cool. I, um, I, I, I recently was talking to one of my surfer friends who lives in the Haina side up in Napili. And uh, before the fire and event, I was starting to able to minister to him. Uh, I would ask him, I asked him that same question. Hey, can I pray for you for something? And he opened up to me. Um, we were having conversations already about God. He hadn't been in church for a while. And we were just talking story. And God just o- had, was opening up this relationship. Uh, we're sitting in the water. Uh, it was dawn, almost still dark. But talking about the Lord, and I thought, God, this is awesome. You know, I want to be able to be used by you wherever I go. And um, um, anyway, I, I was... I felt like when I asked, when you asked that question, is there something I can pray for you for? I mean, most people say, oh, yeah, that's an open door for us to help. That's an open door to be used by the Lord. That's an open door, perhaps down the road, to share the gospel. So let me say this. Perhaps your position, like here's Paul, his status as a Pharisee, a rabbi, you know, high-level guy, opened that door from this to really share at the synagogues. Perhaps you have a position that no one else maybe has that God, uniquely, God wants to use you in that position. Or maybe where you work. Or maybe it's some relationships that you have. Or now I'm thinking about these uh, divine appointments where, you know, perhaps, oh, I'm talking to someone and I happen to meet someone or someone I didn't talk to, and I ask them, how are you doing? How's, how are you doing with the fire? And I'm looking for those divine appointments. I'm looking for the open door to be used by God in whatever way. So perhaps there's a manner of sharing Jesus for you too. And I'm finding my way in that, in that manner and how I just shared with you right now. So um, maybe take that or whatever you think, but pray about it. Let's look for the open door. Just as the manner of sharing Jesus for Paul was going into the synagogues. All right, so we see the manner of sharing. There's an open door right there. Let's go to number two here now, the mission in history. The mission in history. Now we're going to cover verses 16 through 22 in this whole section. But let's take a look at the first one, two, three, four, five verses. Verse 16, so Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt and with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness and After destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. We'll stop right there. Now, Paul here is taking this opportunity, this open door, to stand before uh, all the all the uh, attendees there in the synagogue. Notice he says here back in verse 16, 
where he started in this section. So Paul stood up motioning with his hand. He's like, he wasn't doing the Star Wars Force thing. You better listen. No, it, it, it's just come and listen, you know, kind of welcoming them to listen. And notice he calls out and he says, men of Israel. Now that's all you Jews, right? And you who fear God, listen. You who fear God is really addressing the Gentile proselytes that are also attending this synagogue. So you remember the Apostle Paul is that apostle to the Gentiles. Well, here's the beginning. He's starting to share in this city, not just for, with the Jews, but now with the Gentiles who are attending that synagogue. So, so just keep that in mind. Both are in this room. So he begins here, Paul, he, he starts to talk about, if, 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 if you can see in what we read, about the Jewish history. Now, the Jews love to recount their history. I mean, remember back with Stephen, he did the same thing. You know, many of the sermons we read in Book of Acts, it was similar. They kind of go back and recount, you know, Moses and this happened, this happened. So Paul is recounting their history. You know why? Because the Jews love to, to hear how God took care of them, how God chose them as a nation, how God was there for them. So here, God, here Paul is sharing that very thing. After that, in verse 16, he says, The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. So he's going back to, look, God chose Israel. He chose you specially. He loved on you guys. And then we know in Egypt, they grew great, right? When they went into Egypt, there was like 70 people in the family. When they left, there's a couple million. Some say maybe a couple million, a million to a couple million when they left Egypt. So definitely God increased the population of the Jews in the land when they were in Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he let led them out. We know what that was, right? Let my people go, all the plagues, all that happened. So here's Paul recounting how God was with this nation, choosing this, this people group, the Jews, growing them into a big nation and then miraculously leading them out of that bondage of Egypt. And then verse 18, and for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. So he's now talking about that whole, those years, the 40 years of the wilderness journey. Now, when we read here in verse 18, how um, he put up with them, we're like, oh yeah, he really put up with them, right? All right, we know the story. They're critical. They're complaining all the time. Oh, we should have gone back to Egypt. Lack of faith and trust in the Lord after all the miracles, even after... Uh, I mean, God's presence was visible there, right? Cloud by day, fire by night. They're still like, ah, you know, kind of thing. And he put up with them. But actually, in the original language, it, it, it carries more of an idea of he was patient with them. He, he cared for them. It's more in a positive sense, not a negative sense. Like, ah, oh, I put up with them, you know, kind of thing. No, he cared for them. That was really the idea of it. He was there for them. In spite of their sin, in spite of their rebellion, during this time, God was still there caring and loving on them. And that's really the idea here Paul is putting out. And then when they got to the promised land, the land of Canaan, uh, God helped them destroy, right? Take over the land, seven nations there. And uh, he gave them their land as an inheritance. So this was the promised land, what was promised to Abraham so long ago. Finally came to pass. God did all of this for them. And then all that took 450 years. And after them came the judges, uh, I've been going through that recently in my devotions, you know, different leaders during that time. And then Samuel the prophet rose up right before Saul the king, which is going to be in the next part. So here's Paul. He recounts all this history. And to understand 
that he put up with them. He, he loved on them. He took care of them, no matter the ups and downs. Even during the times of Judges, if you read the book of Judges, right, they forgot about their God. They knew, they knew not that their God there. And they, they would drift away, cry out to God. God would save them, bring a judge. And then they drift away again. But still, God was with them. God cared for them. I was thinking about how during the wilderness journey, even through all the things that they did against God and the golden calf and, and not having faith, right? The original generation didn't make it into the promised land. The kids did because they, they thought, no, we can't take over the giants. They're giant in the land and they're 40 years in the wilderness because, because of that. But God still kept the people of Israel. He didn't say, forget it. I'm going to start with someone else. You know, he, he didn't do that. He, he stayed with them. He cared for them. And I think about what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 7. It says, For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. Even in uh, Deuteronomy, uh, uh, it talks about how their clothes never wore out, right? Their sandals never wore out. That was the Lord. This is what Paul is talking. Paul is recounting how God had been taking care of Israel, been with them from the beginning days. And so you see, the Jews love to hear that. Oh, God is with us. It's so encouraging, looking past, that, that he's been there with us. Then he goes on here in verse 21 22. Then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. So then the next part in, in the uh, history of Israel, they wanted a king like the other nations. So God gave King Saul, right, raised him up. He wrote 40 years, as it says here. But he was removed for his disobedience, right? He was constantly disobedient to the Lord. He didn't kill all the Amalekites. He, he was into his own thing. He was, he was uh, I was reading, um, uh, going, I'm reading through for Samuel now, and it's in Saul's uh, rise in, in one of the study notes in, in a Bible that I read for my devotion said, that Saul's, uh, I think, manic depressive, you know, like he's like jealous of, of David. And I thought, yeah, he does have a kind of this psychological issue and all that and insecurity. But he, he didn't obey God, but removed him for his disobedience and then raised King David up. And King David, as we know from the Old Testament too, and as is repeated here, that God found in David a man after my own heart. A man who, who is after what God wants to do his will. Now, under, we understand David didn't have a perfect heart, right? I mean, we know his sin, Bathsheba, other things, and with his kids and son and all that. But you know what? Even though he wasn't perfect, he kept God at the center of his life. And that's what really made him. We're not perfect either. I'm not perfect. But if we can keep God at the center of our life, that's what really blesses God, our heart. So this is important. As Paul comes to this place in the history of Israel, we see, we see David here. His greatest desire was to do God's will. And it was, that was his heart. And that was important. You know why? Because the line, uh, his line would come out of his line was the Messiah. The Messiah would come out. Every Jew would agree on the greatness of David. Every Jew knew that the Messiah would come from the line of David. So Paul was now leading them in this history to David, bringing them to Jesus, showing them, yeah, see, isn't David great? His heart, we got to have a heart to do God's will. He's, he's getting them ready to hear about Jesus, the Messiah. Understand, as the, Paul is recounting uh, re, re, going over again the history of Israel. Understand to the Jews there was three important things. One, God chose Israel. That's what we read about. Secondly, God will bring the Messiah to save Israel. And the third thing is that 
what was important to them is to have a righteousness with God. That's why the legalism of the Pharisees, that's why uh, the rituals, everything, they, that was their desire with the Lord. So here's Paul laying things out, their history, touching upon what's in their heart of these Jews. Now understand, this is God's mission, right? All along it was God's mission to save not just the Jew, but the Gentile for the, of all, the whole world from what? Our sins, right? That's been the mission of God, to restore that relationship that was lost when Adam and Eve sinned. They had this close relationship. They sinned. They fell. That relationship was broken. And from then on, God was on this mission to send the Savior, to, to send the one who can restore that relationship and that we can be saved from our sins, forgiven of our sins, and have a future in heaven with God, with the one we love so much, our Lord and Savior, Jesus. So that was, this is really the history of Israel is really the mission of God in what he is working all along. So this is the mission in history for the Jews. This is what, here, this is what Paul is really bringing the Jews into in their thought and in their heart to understand, look, there's a mission going on here. There's some, this whole story, this whole history of God being with us, God taking care of us, God making us into a people group, a nation, a king, David. It's all leading into this mission in history for the Jews. And that is, we'll see in the next part, for the Messiah to come i mean if you look back right in history in the old testament you see that right uh sin entered the world then god made a promise right right there in in genesis 3 that there's a savior gonna come and that 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 the um relationship could be restored and 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 that's what we see we see in the bible this history of how god did this and does that and will do that really right when we talk about what is the theme of the whole bible what is that it's jesus right it's jesus how god saves uh, us human beings from our sin and it's jesus it's about jesus it's all heading into about Jesus. So you can say history is really showing God's process of recovery. Think about that. God's process of recovery. And the Savior, the Messiah, is to come from the Jewish nation. And so the Jewish nation plays an important part of God's plan bringing salvation to not just a Jew, but Gentiles also. You know, it's been well said, history is his story. And whose story? Jesus. And you know what? The great thing is you and I were part of that story. You and I were part of that. How Jesus came to us. How Jesus saved us. How Jesus came. And we're, we've become part of that story the history, his story of Jesus Christ. All right, so we have the open door. Paul's taking it right now. This is his manner of sharing, teaching the synagogue. And number two, we see the mission in history. Here God is, or Paul is leading the Jews into this thinking of how God did all of this in their history to fulfill this mission of what? The Messiah. And that's where we're at. Number three now, the third thing we see is the Messiah of prophecy. The Messiah of prophecy. And now we're going to, this is the longest part. We're going to cover verse 23 through verse 37. Take a look at verse 23 through 25 first. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. You can stop right there. Now, Paul makes a transition now. 
he goes from David straight into talking about the Messiah. He, he doesn't go through everything, but he wants to connect this dot of how out of the line of David will come the Messiah. The Jews, very, they know that. They've been taught that. They were raised in that. So Paul goes, of this man, who's, who's who, what man? David, David's offspring. You know what? God's brought the Savior. That's who? Jesus. Jesus, just as he promised. Just as he's been saying in the Old Testament. So Paul's like, you know who this Messiah is? It's Jesus, the Jesus, this Jesus that we know that, that, that you've heard about, that you've probably seen some of you. And so he goes into that talking about naming Jesus now. And to confirm that this Jesus is the Messiah, he goes on talking about John before his coming, right before uh, the, the entrance of Jesus into his ministry, uh, was John. This is John the Baptist. He proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all of Israel. In other words, that was, the Jews know what that is. This is a preparation for the coming of the Messiah. The baptism that John the Baptist did was to prepare the Messiah to come, to, to prepare our hearts to receive the Holy Messiah. So Paul is putting that out for us and showing the Jews and saying, look, and John confirmed it. He came out. He was calling for people to repent and prepare the way for the Messiah. And then John, even himself, he confirmed it when he was finishing his course, when he was finishing his ministry. He said, I'm not the Messiah. No, not me. No, behold, the one who is coming after me, that's the Messiah, whose sandals I am not even worthy to untie. And we read that John actually said those words. So, John is giving testimony to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus, the one who came from the line of David, he is the Messiah. Then Paul goes on in verse 26. He says, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God. So we have the Jews, family of Abraham, those among you who fear God, the proselyte Gentiles. To us has been sent the message of this salvation. You and I, we're hearing now this gospel, the message, the Messiah, about the Messiah, the truth of how to be saved. For those, verse 27, who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize and nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found him in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed and when they had carried out all that was written of him they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb so paul goes on now and says listen you guys listen this this is what happened you guys know and it's it's really a fulfillment of prophecy of of the things we read every synagogue yeah from the prophets, the words of the prophets and all. It, it, it's actually a fulfillment what happened to Jesus. Those in Jerusalem, the rulers, they didn't recognize. They didn't understand this was the Messiah. They didn't really uh, look at and, and, and really receive what the prophets were saying. And so they ended up condemning him and they fulfilled the word. Isaiah 53 talks about the suffering of the Messiah. And though they found no guilt worthy of death, again, Isaiah 53, 53 in that they asked Pilate to have him executed. So this is the whole story of Jesus, how he was put upon the cross. They carried out verse 9 and they took him down from the tree to the cross and laid him in a tomb. So Paul's like recounting all that happened to Jesus and really again it's a fulfillment of, of prophecy. Like Isaiah 53, 9 talks about he'd be laid in like a rich man's tomb, in like Joseph's tomb, right? So this is all Paul putting, look, this was Jesus. The, this is what was prophesied. You know, he came from the line of David. Uh, John testified that he's the Messiah. And then look what happened to him. Guess what? That was prophesied. It was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And then I like the next part, verse 30. But 
God raised him from the dead. Right? He died, but he raised from the dead. Verse 31, And for many days he appeared to those that had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. So the disciples saw him alive. The apostles saw him alive now. Uh, And verse 32, And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers. We're bringing this uh, the the redemption, the prophecy of salvation that's going to come through the Messiah. This was verse 33. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So Paul's quoting Psalm 2-7, talking about the Messiah. A messianic psalm, they all know. Verse 34, And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I, give, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. That's Isaiah 55, 3. Therefore, verse 35, he says also in another psalm, You will not let your holy one see corruption or decay there. That's quoting Psalm 1610. Paul's quoting that. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep, was laid with his fathers, and saw corruption. In other words, he wasn't talking about himself, David, here in the Psalms when he wrote it. It it wasn't him. He was talking about the Messiah. He was talking about the resurrection of how the Messiah would die and rise again. Verse 37, but he whom God raised, that's what David was talking about, raised up and did not see decay. So here's Paul bringing out now this proof. Look, you guys know how God took care of you. God been with you all this time. And there was the prophecies of the Messiah, the mission of God of bringing salvation. Guess what? That was Jesus. And if you think about it, John confirmed it. And if you think about it, what happened to him was fulfillment of all these scriptures that we know, we talk about, we say in the synagogues that Christ fulfilled when he rose again, when he died and rose again from the dead. So here's Paul. This is what he's saying. Know this, the Messiah of prophecy is Jesus. It's Jesus, you guys. That's, that's the one. So you can see how Paul is leading them in their thought, in their heart, right? Well, let's recount our history. Yeah, I love to hear about God, how he took care of us. Yeah, our faith in God, and we're going to believe in God no matter what. Oh, yeah, the Messiah. We're looking for the Messiah. Well, let me tell you, Paul's like, know this. The Messiah of prophecy, it's Jesus. It's him. Think about this. And so Paul's going through, look. He fulfilled all these prophecies. And all these prophecies, they, they point to Jesus. The Jesus, we know. The Jesus that in our own lifetime that, we, that some of you have seen, the one you heard about, that right in our own lifetime that lived on this earth. Did you know there's over 300 prophecies of Jesus' first coming in the Old Testament? And every single one of them have been fulfilled. Every single one. And, and think about the Old Testament being written in the span of all these hundreds of years. You know? It wasn't like one person. But all the different prophecies have been fulfilled uh, about his first coming here. And, and all done, over 300 of them. They say that the odds for Jesus fulfilling only eight of the 300 prophecies is 1 to the 10 17th power. That's like 17 zeros after the 1. The probability of that is, is that much. This, this has to be true, right, in order for all that to happen. And that's just 8 of them, but Jesus fulfilled 300 of them. So here's Paul. He takes this open door. He took the opportunity, you know what? To give the opportunity for his listeners to really come to this place to see Jesus for who he is. I mean, how can you not believe now? I mean, think about them. They, in their lifetime, they either saw Jesus or knew Jesus. How could they not believe? Well, as Paul is presenting this. 
How could you and I not believe and give our life to Jesus? Jesus was the fulfillment of God's plan from the start. He's the mission. He's the one. All right, so here's the open door. We've seen the manner of sharing, the mission in history, the message of prophecy. Now we come to our last thing, number four, the message in salvation. The message in salvation. Here we're going to cover verse 38 through 43, this next section. But first of all, 38 to 41. It says here, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Verse 40, Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophet should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. All right, so Paul now, he comes after talking about the mission in history, that Jesus is the Messiah um, of prophecy. And now he comes to this message and salvation. And as he gets into this, he said, all right, guys, let it be known to you. Know this, brothers, that, it was th- that it's through Jesus you can be forgiven. You can be forgiven of your sins. That's what's being proclaimed to you. And by everyone who believes is freed. Now the ESV uh, translates this word freed, or you can translate it as justify, justification. Uh, we've talked about that before. Justification, uh, one easy way to remember is just as if I never sinned. Yeah. So we've been just justified. So through God's work on the cross through Jesus Christ, we can be justified. See, without Jesus and his atonement, there's no justification um, uh, from your sin. Justification is basically an act of God declaring you righteous. Uh, It's a legal act in which you are cleared of the charges against you. And so since Jesus says death on a cross, since he died in place of you, he paid the penalty that we should have paid. But he paid it, and so now we're acquitted. We're free from that penalty, free from that uh, uh, sentence and condemnation. So I, I, that's why I think the ESV translates it free, but the idea is justification. So we, by him, Jesus, everyone, verse 39, who believes in Christ and the cross is justified, is freed from everything which you could not be freed from by the law of Moses, which we couldn't be justified from. The law of Moses, remember Paul talked about, it basically, it, it, it really tells you uh, what sin is. It shows you you're a sinner, that, but it cannot really save you because we cannot uh, attain to a perfect obedience to the law. So we need the Savior. So the law couldn't justify us. No way, because we're sinners. But Christ can justify us in what he did on the cross. So Paul's like, look, this is salvation. This is the message. This is what's in salvation in Christ, is that we can be made righteous, basically, before the Lord. And remember I said, that's the other thing that the Jews long for. And Paul's saying, look, that's it. But then verse 40, he's like, beware though, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. And this is Habakkuk 1.5. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. So <clears throat> this, when Habakkuk said this, it, it was during the, the Babylonian captivity and God was uh, bringing a judgment upon the, the nation uh, through the captivity and so people are like, ah, God's not doing this. God's not going to do that. God's not going to bring the captivity. And so the prophet or the Lord was speaking, you know, to the prophet basically, look, he is doing a work here, right? Whether you believe it or not, you know what? It's going to happen. That's pretty much the idea. So Paul's using that same idea and saying, look, you know what? Be warned. Whether you believe it or not, this is God's work. What Christ did is God's work so don't reject what god is doing god is in this 
He is in this. He is in the gospel. He is in this way of salvation. And so Paul's calling on them, look, see who Jesus really is. See that he is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the one who can justify you. Well, look at verse 42. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. So what's happening is, is they're done, uh, end of service, they went out. The, the people who heard these things, they, they begged that, oh, come back. Come back next week. Come back to the next Sabbath. Talk more about this. They were hungry about it all. So after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many of these Jews and, and the devout converts, the proselytite Gentiles, they follow Paul and Barnabas around. Like, oh, tell us more, tell us more. We, 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 we want to learn more. And Paul and Barnabas, they urged them to continue in the grace of God. And what is that? Hey, continue in the grace. Hey, keep going in the grace of God. What, what is that talking about? Well, in, a, in contrast to following the law to be made right with God, which you can't, Paul and Barnabas was saying, look, go to the grace of God. Go to Christ. Keep following Christ, right? Because salvation is a gift of God, right? Nothing we've done. But we're saved, right, by grace through faith. Faith in what Christ has done. And so, He's there encouraging them to find life with God in that gift that's given, the gift of salvation, that you're justified by the work of Christ. That's the grace of God in your life. I think about how Romans 5 one says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's our last point. The message is salvation. The message is, I'm sorry, the message in salvation is, you know what he's talking about? Justification. Justification. God has taken care of your sins. He's made you righteous. He's justified you. He, in his eyes right now, legally, you're okay now. That's how we can have eternal life right now when we receive Christ. That's if something were to happen, accident happened, we're in heaven. We're with God because of Christ and his atonement uh, for our sins. We have been justified just as if we've never sinned. The slate has been clean. We've been acquitted. The penalty has been paid. And so here's Paul putting now to these Jews, the proselytes, that, look, yeah, we read the law of Moses. Yeah, the prophets and all of that. And we want to be righteous. And we come to synagogue and we Sabbath service. And because we want to do right, be right with God. And you guys are all here for that. But guess what? Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior. And believing in him, there's no more of this ritualistic legalism. You can have the grace of God by believing in what Christ did on the cross. And you will be saved. You will be made righteous before God. So the message in salvation that Paul gives is this justification. With that in mind, I, I read this story about a man in England. Um, he took, uh, this is many years ago, but he took, a man in England took a, a Royce, Rolls Royce on a ferry to Belgium for the holiday. I was thinking about that. I thought, oh, I've, I've taken, I, we've taken that that boat in one of mission trips to England, you go across the channel into France and then you go to Belgium. But there's a ferry you could take. So he took this Rolls Royce uh, to Belgium across the channel for a holiday on the ferry. Well, while driving in Europe, the car broke down. So he called up the Rolls Royce people back in England and said, Hey, look, I'm having trouble with my car. It broke down. What do I do? Well, Rolls Royce flew a mechanic over right away, repaired the car, and flew back. Well, after his, his vacation, his holiday, he came back to England and he, he, he contacted Rolls Royce. He wrote a letter uh, to see how much he owed them for this repair. Well, he received a letter from the Rolls Royce office saying this, Dear sir, there is no record anywhere in our files 
that anything ever went wrong with Rolls, Rolls Royce. <laughs> they have their reputation, right? Well, that's like us, you guys. There's no record anymore for us. Our sin has been taken care of. We are legally, before the Lord, righteous. There's therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. Well, let's close up here. We'll, we'll go on next time. You know, there's no other message that we should focus on. That Jesus can save you and make you right with God. So, let's be those people like Paul and Barnabas who are ready to share the message. You know what, let's be those kind of people like Paul, like I mentioned, that no, no matter what, we're all there. I think the most important thing we can do, the first most, of course, we want to love God, love our family, you know, do our ministry, uh, um, uh, love God, you know, love our wife, love our husband, love our family, do our work and, and do our ministry, but... But the most important thing as far as the reason and purpose we're here on this planet is our mission, and that is to share Christ, to share the gospel, to share this message to everyone around us. So let us be those who are committed to do that. No matter how hard that 100-mile road might be, no matter the, the malaria and the mosquitoes, no matter... The, the dangerous cliffs and, and, and the thieves and robbers on the road there. No matter what, in other words, the enemy may do, no matter what life brings, let us keep to that mission. And whatever opportunity is there, let's do that. Let's take it. I'll close with this. There's a small white metal door on the side of a tiny mission church in Johannesburg, South Africa. This door, I read, is changing lives. Well, how's that? Well, on the door are painted the words, Door of Hope. See, on average, some 40 to 50 babies were abandoned on the streets of Johannesburg to die of exposure or starvation every month. But that was before this mission installed this little door. Basically, so... Uh, it's like a baby bin. So that it allowed mothers to anonymously deposit their unwanted baby and have someone love them and care for them. And through that, this mission is now saving over 100 babies a year. So what an incredible door. But you know what? There's another incredible door, right? That takes in the unwanted, saves broken lives those who are heading in the wrong direction. There's another door of hope, and that's Jesus. Jesus. The door is Jesus. So you and I, God will give us opportunities to bring that door to people around us. So let's not hesitate when God gives us the open door. Let's pray. Lord God, I love what Paul and Barnabas are doing here. I love how Paul has, has specially shared your word to speak, God, to those, Lord, before him. The ones you've given oppor him opportunity to speak to, God. The door that you've opened up to him, Lord. He knew exactly how to lead the heart and the mind for everyone there to see you, Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior, to find forgiveness, to find hope, to find salvation. And help us, God, do the same thing. Help us, Lord, in the opportunities that are around us every day, the people we come across, the people we meet, the people we may know, Lord. Help us to move the conversation maybe over to you, God, to help them see what we have found in you, Jesus. Lord, I know that we can be apprehensive sometimes. 
worried about making mistakes or, or, or anxious about, well, I don't know what to say. But Lord, we all have a testimony. And when we care more about a person who's headed into an eternal hell, God, I want to put myself aside. I want to put my anxieties or insecurities aside because I care about this person in front of me. And Lord, that is your will, that we would deny ourselves, pick up the cross and follow you, God, that we would obey your commission to go out into the world. God, why are we here? Yeah, we're called to our ministries. We're called to our family. We're called to, to be there and raising our children or being around God, helping people. But the best thing we can do is help people find Jesus. So Lord, give us boldness in the Holy Spirit. Give us words, Lord, through the power of the Spirit, God, to be able to reach out, to love, to plant a seed, God, to share your word, God, to pray with someone to receive Jesus. Lord, may you, God, present to us many doors and may they open, God, as opportunities for us individually to share with someone what you've done, Jesus, the gospel, to share with someone, Jesus Christ. Help us today, Lord. We love you, God. You are our Lord. You are our Savior. And we just bow to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.